Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It is uh, mid-January here in 2021. Things are rolling. Uh, there are lots of great things going on in the economy and the digital revolution rolls on. We are delighted, as always, to have back one of our monthly guests, Tony Uphoff, who is the CEO of Thomas, which Tony has helped transform from a 130-year-old family-owned uh, trade publishing company into a pretty cool dynamite player in the industrial space, connecting buyers and sellers with a very, very interesting data platform. Tony, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. I hope 2021 is off to a good start for you. Hey, Bob, thanks so much. Great to see you. Happy New Year, my friend. And uh, indeed, the, the year is off to a very brisk start. So uh, it's all good. Good to hear. Good to hear, Tony. Um, I, I just you know, as you know, uh, before we came on here, we we're chatting a little bit about um, Thomas Curing from Google Cloud talking about really some dynamic things happening with, you know, the cloud making its way into the manufacturing shop floors. I just thought that was interesting. And you, as always, you know, come into this, uh, our monthly get together to talk about Uphoff on industry with some interesting ideas. But I wonder, Tony, if just touch on that a little bit, right? The, you know, because I thought Google Cloud in pharmaceutical, this and that, but he said they are hardcore on the shop floor. But then that's something you've been talking about for a while, right? This is this is really starting to click. It, it is, Bob. And, you know, I think as longtime tech watchers, if I could put the two of us in that category, and certainly many of your listeners have worked at multiple tech companies, and, and perhaps some are in areas like the Silicon Valley, and they don't first think of as manufacturing. What's going on in manufacturing? You don't think of it as a tech sector. The fact of the matter is over the last 25 to 30 years, there has been a steady and now accelerating investment in advanced manufacturing technology. And as happens, you see these step changes in the available technology. So every few, few years, there's really an acceleration and we're in one of those stages right now. And Curian is spot on. And part of what's happening, Bob, is if you look at um, cloud, in all its permutations, but then you look at what cloud can enable, right? And you start to add in some of the things that, you know, artificial intelligence, you start to connect that into the IIoT, the industrial internet of things, sensor-based technology. It, while it's still in the emergent phase, the impact of 5G, what's starting to happen in manufacturing is, is really mind blowing. And so, for a lot of manufacturers, even small to medium manufacturers, and that's really been the big breakthrough, they now have access to game-changing technology that accelerates their ability to be competitive. Other thing this is connected to, and, and I don't know if in your conversation with Thomas Curian, he mentioned this, part of what's accelerating so dramatically is based on this global competitiveness that's happened over the last 15 to 20 years, you're seeing a dramatic amount of reshoring. Some of this has been triggered by the pandemic for sure, but that reshoring, which for your listeners is exactly what it sounds like. It is um, in this case, domestic, domestic to North America, manufacturers bringing manufacturing or in some cases um, they never had it here, but they are bringing it to North America and they're not doing it for altruistic reasons, Bob. They're doing it for, yeah. you know, this makes good economic sense for us. And, and the, the difference there is the technology, the enabling technologies today are just accelerating this phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, Tony, that's wild. And you, uh, you mentioned as well, this notion of uh, technology change, things that are going on, you know, over the 
crazy year of 2020, which leads into one of the things you're talking about, right? Um, I, uh, I think like everybody, you know, you get, okay, do I have my Teams app downloaded? Do I have Meet downloaded? Do I have uh, Zoom? Do I have eight, but you know, on and on like this. Um, you had some thoughts about how all of that traditional, if there, is there still such a thing, Tony, as traditional communications? And yeah. how, how all these uh, threads either are or are not coming together to help businesses move forward the way they want to. Yeah, Bob, isn't it interesting? And you and I've talked about this before. It feels to me like business is, is always about a phase of either bundling or unbundling, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I'll, I'll take it out of, uh, out of the business you and I are talking about just for a minute. If you look at what's happening, cable television is unbundling and streaming services are bundling. And it's changing the way that we watch what we call television today. So you're seeing these fascinated things. I think in the area of unified communications, that's exactly what's happening. So a lot of your listeners may not even conjure up what I mean by unified communications. It's a little bit of a dated term, but back in the day, what it basically meant was there's voice-based technology that we, we uh, invest in and there's data uh, technology that we invest in. And then over time, people said, well, gosh, isn't this all going to kind of come together at some point in time through internet protocols? And, you know, gee, wouldn't it be kind of cool if this was unified in some way so I could really bring this together? And I think we've made progress, but the last 10 months has taught us that while we can do what we're doing right now, which is to have a video call, the fact of the matter is we don't just rely on a single form of communication anymore. And we're finding quickly the limits of really using unified communications as a business productivity platform. And, and I'm not picking on any of the vendors, uh, you know, easy for me to, to sit here on the sidelines and throw rocks, right? Um, but I, I think part of what, what, uh, what we're facing or what we're dealing with here is a lot of these companies have either been on the voice side of that and video kind of got lumped in with voice in a weird way, I think to a certain extent in its innovation and also within companies who bought it. And then there's the data side of this. And I think depending on which of those you kind of came from or what your heritage is, you can see some of these companies are struggling to innovate. And I think they're struggling to figure out what does the user experience really look like? They're thinking in many cases, as many of us do, of the technology and the use of the technology. They're not actually stopping to analyze a customer experience. And that customer likely also has, as you mentioned before, and again, I don't want to get hung up on brands, but you know, some sort of communication platform like a Slack or Microsoft Teams, they may have multiple video uh, you know, connections, some paid, some free. They may have all kinds of, you know, they may have, um, uh, you know, people using their own devices, they may have company issued devices. There's a lot of complexity around that stuff. And I think for a lot of these companies, um, they, they need to really start to think about what is the user experience, not my product roadmap, not the user experience I'd like to have if everybody just bought my technology, but what is the actual user experience going on out there? And I, I think the good news is, boy, talk about forcing innovation. Um, but if I was a, an incumbent, right, if I was an incumbent in this space, I, I'd be a little nervous because I think the innovation is going to come by somebody who's working that we've not yet heard of, Bob, that's working on some of these solutions. I don't think it's going to be Ring Central or 8x8 or, 
you know, uh, maybe Zoom, I don't know. But I think, I think this opens the door yeah, uh, you know, you know, now that Salesforce owns Slack, who knows? Maybe Slack makes an interesting enhancement or pivot here. Um, but, anyways, long way of saying, um, unified communications is not so unified yet. Um, but, but hopefully, someday it will be because I think it'll improve all of our productivity and, and again, that user or customer experience. Yeah, Tony, it's so interesting, right? I, I love how you were framing that in terms of, on the one hand, there's the tech vendors roadmap. Like, hey, I, all your problems will be solved. Just do this. When the user experience thing might be sort of zigging in a different direction and saying, well, that's all nice, but that's not how I work. It's not how I intend to be working in 2021 or 2022 or so forth like that. Or you're leaving out a certain big thing that's going to emerge here and change how all those different threads interact. Uh, yeah, it's. It, Bob, it's Bob, do you remember wild. the name? Do you remember the name Cinda Hallman? Yes. Yes, she was the chief information officer of DuPont, and yep. uh, I, I, I'm assuming Cinda's long since retired. But she served on an editorial advisory board with with you and me, and and just was remarkable with her insights. And I'll never forget her talking about Bill Gates. And this was in the still kind of formative stages of Microsoft as a business platform and series of tools. Mm -hmm. You know, not just a PC software company. And so for Fortune 1000 companies, you know, they, they had sort of an arm's distance, you know, relationship still with Microsoft. Microsoft hadn't, didn't own the enterprise, if yeah. you will, quite yet. And Cinda Holman used to talk about, I can't remember the frequency, I think she said it was like two or three times a year that Bill Gates would come to see her. And she actually used the expression, I beat that boy about the head and face. <laughs> with how little he knew, she had a, a Southern accent, I can't even do it justice. And she said, but I'll be darned if every time he came back, he didn't get a little smarter. And I, I always think of that at these moments in tech, Bob, where look, you know, all of us ha have our vision of how this works, but then we reshape it as we engage with customers. And, and we more deeply and profoundly understand the customer experience. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. So many tech vendors get hung up on um, customers, what they deem as customer success or worse yet, customer service, which basically yeah. means, hey, I got high scores from Bob's company because we solved a problem for Bob. That's very different than the customer experience. Those are, those are, those are connected, but, but very different phenomenons. And I think and again, not to, I'm not swinging at the pinata here of unified communications. I'm saying this because there's such a tremendous opportunity, but these issues of interoperability, as you've noted, and the customer experience, right? I think, and, and also if I'm really honest, Bob, I think it's a category that's been sleepy. Yeah. I don't think there's been a lot of innovation. The innovation moved elsewhere. You know, there was innovation in many other areas. And I think, you know, now the circus has come to town at Unified Communication. And I think, you know, Zoom cut everybody asleep at the switch. But I, I don't think Zoom's going to be alone for long. No, no. And Tony, it's not like what you're describing that really weaves into uh, the sort of the power of culture in these days throughout what we've all been through in 2020, a virtual culture. And I know you've got some great thoughts on that. And I want to, we'll, we'll, get to those in just a sec, but I wanted to bring up one example um, of something that may be tilted too far in the direction of the, uh, well, here's the technology, so pure technology solution to virtual uh, unified communications. And that was, uh, gosh, you know, Compaq 
early 80s came out and they had the revolutionary machine first the luggable and then the yeah. you know, more uh you know it was a laptop but your lap would take a little bit of a beating with those early ones and then there was the whole thing i guess it was the first glimmerings of hey wait i have the computer i'm talking on the phone a lot can we things in dramatic i think it was called the telecompact but it was an old-fashioned pc that had wow a, yeah a phone <laughs> up in the front center of it and you know i thought okay you know put a steering wheel there put a wallet there put a <laughs> little refrigerator and you, you got it all a little, little beer cozy for yeah. <laughs> you know my beverage yeah yeah but the the i guess and you know i it, not mean to knock at them, but it was that, did anybody ever think about it and say, yeah, you fused the phone and the computer, will anybody use it? No, but you know, you, you have achieved this technological step forward. Bob, I would argue it's a great, great vignette. I would argue that unified communications is at their inflection moment, the way smartphones were in 2007. Mm -hmm. And suddenly somebody came along and looked at the customer experience and the user experience didn't invent the concept didn't even you know it, you know name the category any of that concept but completely reinvented the experience based on providing a customer experience that was second to none mm -hmm. and i think unified communications is in their 2007 moment all right all right well we will uh, we'll, we'll track that and tony i just want to take a second here for a word from our sponsor bmc BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. So, Tony, uh, you had some thoughts here about virtual culture and what has it been now? Uh, 10 months, uh, 10 and a half months that we have all, uh, you know, gotten a little perhaps more of a taste of virtual culture than we'd like. So where do you see that now and, and uh, where is this headed? Well, I was hoping you're going to tell me, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's something I think it's something that we, we certainly wrestle with. And I'd, I'd like to think we're on the right side of wrestling with it. And, and to be specific, when I talk about uh, about Thomas in, in our experience here, you know, we're a, we're a company that's over 100 years old, as you know. We're we're today a modern internet data platform company. Uh, we have offices in New York City, and then also a couple of hour drive out of New York in an area called uh, Horsham, Pennsylvania. But as of you know, the middle of March, basically. We've been a, a completely remote company, and now we start to think about you know where we go next. We will forevermore be a remote first office environment second company, and I think you know we're, we're not alone in that. There's nothing unique about what I said. But one of the things that we started to talk about kind of early on was, you know, we have a very tight knit culture. We've taken the company through a tremendous amount of uh, positive uh, change in digital transformation over the last four years. And we also um, have changed the makeup of the company. We've got really uh, a remarkably broad demographic stretch to the company, which is fantastic. We've added some new functions like data science and built out our development team. One of the benefits of the way we ran and we flattened the organization, but made it much more collaborative was just that. There was, there was 
you know, just um, a studied casualness to the way that we drove collaboration. And a lot of that became the culture of the company. It was a company that really very naturally focused on customers and they always had, but now with our new strategy and where we were going, people were able to reinforce that in their daily work around the coffee, um, uh, you know, uh, coffee place or maybe grabbing a bite of food. New York City is also a, a unique high density environment. Our offices are across the street from Penn Station. So the ability to say, hey, Bob, you got, you know, your, your train's not till seven, you know, how about 6.30, we go grab a beer before you hop your train. It's got a bunch of unique dynamics to it for those, um, for the culture to, to manifest itself. So now suddenly as a virtual, you know, uh, environment, we had to start to think about that culture in a bit of a different way. And the way we did it, which is interesting, I don't know if this is helpful to any of your, your listeners or not. A, you know, we started to think about what, what, What's, you know, what happens in that cultural dynamic on a regular basis and how much of that can we, if not replicate, we can um, continue through the use of virtual. So, you know, virtual happy hours and town halls and communication, the things that everybody knows about. But one of the fascinating things that happened, Bob, is openly discussing this. And we have a committee that focuses on cultural dynamics in the company. And we've got over 20 people, a part of it. They came back and said, hey, why don't we use this as an opportunity to refresh our cultural attributes? Mm -hmm. What makes us unique? And, and we put a lot of thought and energy into it. And they actually came back and said, hey, there's really three things. There's not 50. There's really three things that uniquely drive uh, the culture. One is people that are successful here are highly curious. Number two, they're very inclusive and collaborative. And, um, and number three, they get things done. Now, the initial draft of this, they substituted another word for things, but they, uh, they, you know, we, we pride ourselves on, hey, let's get it out. Let's ship the work and make sure we do it well. And so what ended up happening, Bob, which was really kind of fascinating, what started off is something that frankly, I kind of thought, is this, should we be thinking about things like that? Allowed a group of people to kind of double down on the cultural attributes that were really important, but then now view that through the lens of 10 months of working remotely. So how does this manifest itself? And so, you know, they took it upon themselves to create iconography that identified these, circulated, but also posted onto social media and other things. And it, I found it really, really helpful as, as kind of a, this is gonna sound kind of funny, but a, a dusting off of the cultural attributes and kind of a, a refresh of, of the cultural attributes. There are huge challenges though, as, as you've had other guests talk about of how do you manage a, cultural, a culture virtually? Um, how do you reinforce cultural attributes? How do you um, bring new people on board? You know, we, we haven't hired a ton of people uh, um, since we went remote, but probably 25-ish or so. And, you know, how do you onboard people? How do you introduce them to the to the culture. So uh, we actually created, you'll love this, Bob, we actually opened it up to the employees. And we said, if anybody wants to create a video of, and we'll call it the new hire video, uh -huh. and you can you know, talk about the culture, but actually show people what it's like to work remotely and what it's like to work at Thomas. And literally screamingly funny. I mean, some people got incredibly creative 
um, you know, of, of producing these, but think how welcoming that is, you know, rather than, yeah. you know, you're gonna hear from senior exec or you're gonna hear from human resources or whatever, that you're actually hearing from people that you haven't met yet that are gonna be your peers in an organization and they're laughing and having fun but it exemplified, I think, this idea of being inclusive, getting things done. Yeah, I, I don't need HR to, to have me have you know help me welcome a new employee to the company. I know how to do this. Let me produce a video for him. And it, it was just really cool to see that come together. I think the the piece for us at least, and 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 I hope your your listeners can this will resonate as well. Um, I'm giving only the positives. Right. Sure. There, there are some real challenges to this. And, and, you know, 10, 11 months in, I certainly worry on behalf of Thomas, but I worry on behalf of a lot of customers. What's the downside here? What are we missing? And I, I do think that, you know, the, for lack of a better term, that nonverbal communication, that um, impromptu gathering, those whiteboarding sessions, whatever. And I'm not pointing out anything that lots of other people haven't pointed out. Um, but there is a cost that comes from this. I'd like to think that the benefits will, will overwhelm that. Um, but I, I worry particularly for people um, who, who are early in their career. I, I learned so much and you and I grew up in similar environments. I learned so much by watching people who were really good at their jobs and just drafting them, just literally sitting and watching what they did and how they did it and asking them questions. and you know, having a cup of coffee with them. And how do you manage your time? How did you learn how to do that? Who taught you that? You know, what do you read? What do you listen to? You know, how, how do you keep yourself refreshed? I mean, I learned so much and I don't, I'd like to think we're, we're able to do some of that um, remotely, Bob, but I think that piece of it, boy, I haven't come up with an answer on that yet. And, and is there a way to keep that I don't know if the word I'm looking for is spontaneity or, or, or serendipity that happens by being able to simply, you know, uh, watch people who are very, very good and experienced at their craft. Because, you know, I, as a young person, I, I had a big enough mouth that I'd be like, hey, Mr. Evans, how did you know how to do that? Why is it that you always wear a black turtleneck? You know, do you, re you know, I, I would actually say those things, right? There's a lot of people that won't. But they could watch, they could watch and they could listen. And so I, again, I, I'm, over, I'm overstating the obvious point. I, I, I think there are a lot of ways to manage culture and I think we've locked onto a few, but I worry that there's a downside to, to the, you know, it, as we continue down this virtual path that, boy, I, I'm hoping we're gonna be able to balance it at, at some point in the near future. Yeah, Anton, I'm with you on the balance, right? You know, we it's almost like okay, we spend a year learning these new skills, and it's it's fantastic because, as you said, you know, for Thomas now, you're going to be remote first and uh, sort of let headquarter regional office second, and you know that's great. But um, there, there's just something about it. Chris Lockhead said the other day, "What is the absolute worst thing you can do to a human being? It's isolate yeah. that yeah. person." And, you know, that, that, that's quite powerful. So we're learning these things, but I, I got to thank Tony for the employees of Thomas, whether it's the 25 new people that you've talked about over the past several months, or it's the people who've been there a while that the effort to try to acknowledge this to you're, you're taking some actions, you're attempting to, 
if not codified this new virtual culture, at least to understand it, to improve it, be open to changing it and moving it forward, you know, a strong culture, but a flexible culture to adapt things. And it's not, uh, you know, here's a memo from the CEO about how everybody's supposed to behave, how you're supposed to feel, uh, you know, all that stuff. So I, I just think these little things, Tony, even like, um, those things of, you know, uh, I still hear occasionally people say, oh, I'm sorry if you hear the dog barking in the background. It's like, uh, thank you for saying that. There was no need to. We've all heard dogs bark, kids run across, cameras get knocked over, you know, whatever it might be. This That's just, that's life how it is. I, I know um, somebody the other day said they're, uh, they're, they're 12 year old at school. They said, uh, oh yeah, we had phys ed class today. And the teacher was showing us, you know, was lifting a bag of cat litter in you know, either his or her New York City apartment. Uh, you know, we improvise, but yeah, I think Tony, it's, uh, it's, it's gonna be nice when we can sort of tie that in with that old face-to-face -face things and you know, some well, of your and, questions. And, and to your point, Bob, you know, it's funny. When I was coming up in business, whenever you would um, visit someone's office for the first time, um, and, and oftentimes an office would look like the credenza behind you. There'd be family photographs and, and perhaps mementos from various stages of a career or an academic background. And, and I was gonna say this was most acute in certain parts of the country, and maybe that's true, but there was, there was oftentimes a sign of respect where you would take a minute and ask about someone's family, or you would ask about the environment, and oftentimes it would lead to really fun conversation. <laughs> oh yeah, there's my my lab, and boy, you know, she loves to go swimming, and you know, blah blah blah, and and it would humanize the interaction before you got to the business. And you and I have used this expression. I, I as an optimist, I, I wonder if part of what we're reflecting here as we go forward is we we could see a rehumanization of some of these things, and maybe it's 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 allowed us to be human. You know, uh, my, my colleague, Rita Lieberman, who you know, who, who helps us with, with our speaking engagements and, and the podcast, every time we have a call and there's three or four of us, the first part of the call, we're always turning the cameras around to show our dogs and, and the status of, oh, what's going on with your dog? And she recently got a puppy not too long ago and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It, 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 there's, there's a charm to that, that yeah. I think is you, you, you can't replicate that in an office without being kind of goofy and artificial. So maybe there is, you know, as this comes together, maybe there's some benefit by, I don't want to call it an integration, but maybe there's some rehumanizing of those interactions that this has forced us to do that's a positive takeaway. Yeah, yeah, Tony, I agree. I, I agree. I'm uh, In being eager for the old world to return, I don't mean that you know, I, I'm not trying to dismiss because it really, it's been quite extraordinary. And I heard somebody the other day say, uh, you know, he, he said, I don't buy this thing about lack of face-to-face -face things, decreasing the personal uh, levels of engagement. He said, I'm in people's living rooms. He said, I, I you know, I, I'm in right? their home office. He said, I would yeah. never have gotten there. So yeah, yeah the, these things swing back and forth tone. And then it's funny is, you know, as, I was on, Bob. I was on. I, I, I got to. I got to make this, this anecdote. I was on a video call uh, with. Uh, we have two co-chairmen of the company, and they're family members. They're grandsons of the original founder uh, of our company many years wow. ago, and they're both you know fantastic guys. And I'm on, uh, you know, a, a video call with one of them, and I see somebody come into the room, and it's his wife, and she hands him this note, and they look very serious and. He's like, 
you know, okay, and kind of whispers something over to her and hands her the note back. And then she stops and she's standing there and she said, you know, oh, hi, Tony, how are you? It, it was to confirm what he wanted for lunch. And I, I thought, and, and the three of us just burst out laughing because she, she was at first going to be, you know, kind of, you know, discreet and, you know, pass him this thing like, oh, we've got to pay our taxes on time or so, I don't know, some important message. And here it was, hey, let me know what you want for lunch today. Well done. Well, well, Tony, who knows? It might be, uh, you know, we'll be teleporting in the future, this virtual culture. Maybe that'll be part of it because as you note here, there's some, there are some pretty wild new technologies coming in that will further enable this sort of virtual thing, but, uh, and, and in other ways enrich, you know, overall interconnections and relationships. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Bob, as we always do, I want to touch on those technologies just a little bit as, as we get, starting to wrap here, you know, I mentioned before, you know, I'll use the term convergence. And all I really mean by that is not that the technologies themselves are converging, but um, these technologies are now in relative orbit and they're going to create a massive acceleration. So if you look at technologies, as we mentioned before, cloud, certainly mobile, IIoT, I'm particularly intrigued with the impact of 5G. And most of the energy around 5G, as you know, has really been exercised around consumer marketplaces as though you and I need to actually download faster things on our phone or view videos even faster or whatever on our, on our phone. And that may be fantastic and I'm sure it will be, but the enabling nature of 5G is the difference between a, a tunnel you could drive a car through and a small pipe. Mm-hmm. And it, it will be massive in its implications as you well know. And I think particularly in industrial environments and manufacturing environments that need that type of, of bandwidth, but also in, in solving that last mile problem around the latency around um, autonomous vehicles and other things. You know, latency may not mean much when you talk about milliseconds, but when, when you're talking about a vehicle driving, you know, 70 or 80 miles an hour, a millisecond is actually a big deal. And so I think you know, we're, we're on the precipice, Bob, of a massive step change as these technologies get into relative orbit, meaning, you know, they're, they're accessible. Um, as I said earlier, some are cheaper uh, than they've been. It's enabling smaller companies to just jump all the way to advanced. They don't have to go 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, as they yeah. used to say, yeah. and yeah. They, can, they can jump right in. So I, I am incredibly bullish. I tend to look at the lens through what's happening in, in North American manufacturing, as you know, given the market we serve, and I can see the impact of these technologies there. But I, I actually think we're going to see some just fascinating you know, breakthroughs. We've talked before on your program, too, about the advances in telemedicine. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is it's not the technology. What the pandemic and the technology did served as a forcing function for insurance companies to validate a telemedicine appointment and pay it. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's what actually happened. We've had the ability to have telemedicine for a long time, right? There's nothing new about what you and I are doing right this minute. Yeah. But now suddenly insurance companies had to recognize that as a legitimate appointment. And so you've seen just the, the massive lift in that but also the speed with which we brought vaccines to market is an indication of technology to a great extent. We've got cloud infrastructure and other things that allow us to crowdsource these and or look at data sets that heretofore just would have taken us a decade to, you know, to wrestle to the ground and been productive with. 
Yeah. Now, um, Tony, just sort of a procedural question here, if I may, because I agree with you, but you're the guest, you're the star of the show, right? I am the, uh, I, I'm the simple Q and a guy. I'm a little question. nervous here. I'm a little nervous by where this <laughs> well, is going. I, I just want to get your permission. I don't want to call it pontificate, but may I offer a, a, a point on that? Uh, a point Please. back. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I set you up to, to, you know, deliver some insights. I, 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 I don't want you to feel touchy like I was trying to, but Tony, I think, you know, what, uh, all those things as you described as being in relative orbit and as they get into that synchronized orbit there the, the power of everything becomes yeah. so much stronger so you know at different times I hear people say well we're only in the first inning or we're in the second inning so with cloud and those sorts of things and cloud is in some ways the enabler the optimizer the accelerator of these wild new technologies I agree that if you look at uh, you know, a nine inning game that we're in just one or two. But I think sometimes the mistake that some people make is assuming that each inning is going to be just like the other. When in fact, I think because of what's happening That's in the first inning, point. the second inning is going to be much deeper and richer and more profound. The third inning, the yep. fourth, each one of those, it's almost like um, I took calculus in high school and college, never learned a thing about it, but I was a few years out of college and I read a novel where the guy happened to explain what slope was. Oh, I got it. So I think I understood this sort of compounding of interest. So what's happening in the fourth inning is going to be much, much greater than first, second, third. So there's this scale of capability, of innovation, of um, being able to tie some of these different things together. So I share your optimism, Tony. And I think that what um, sort of is incumbent on leaders here is to think of this not so much as a linear movement forward, what we That's can a really do good this, point. but we've got to continue to, you know, lift our chins and our heads up because I think where things are headed, the speed at which it's headed, it's like some of the stuff that uh, SAP had recently talked about with this uh, automotive alliance where they're going to help to bring together some of the digitally, some of these giant supply chains. So industries will behave differently. Yep. The technological impact on them will be exponentially multiplied. And then the way that they work with their customers, it, it, it's going to be a remarkable future. I, I'm really, really excited about what 2021 yeah. and beyond is going to bring. You know, Bob, you're, you're spot on as usual. I, I'm, I'm conjuring up the famous Gartner hype cycle while you're talking. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with that metaphor, with all respect to Gartner, who I, I admire, um, is it's focused on singular technologies. Yeah. And what you're describing is inevitably when you see a step change, a, a, a massive acceleration, it's when there's a series of technologies. And yeah. again, I use the, overuse this expression of that are in relative orbit. You know, it wasn't like, the folks at Apple led by Steve Jobs went out and envisioned this thing we had never thought of before called the smartphone. And it just, boom, like the blind watchmaker. It just, man, it just appeared out of nowhere. There was an inflection point in terms of wireless technology, in terms of the technology to create apps and tools and different things, touchscreen technology, advanced glass that all came together. Right. And I think you are describing in your own way, you know, we, we tend to get those of us who fancy we're Silicon Valley watchers, we tend to get jaded of, oh, this, this is being hyped versus that. If you look back through history, though, there are these moments in time and they're very difficult to predict. 
if, if we could predict them, you and I would do something very different for a living. But boy, you know when you see it. And we are in one of those moments where I think it, it's a moment of remarkable opportunity. And, and, and I think the acceleration of productivity, which we haven't really seen you know, today, uh, or over the last uh, decade, I should say, I think there's going to be a rampant acceleration of productivity gains based on some of these, uh, I'll use the expression, enabling technologies you and I are describing, Rob. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Tony. And uh, I just want to grab something right over here. What do you think of this little baby? Now, see, I'm one of the few people uh, amongst your listeners that would know that's called a princess phone. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. How about that? Uh, this right? will be, you know, they say that uh, certain things that will last there, like uh, plastic coat hangers and Twinkies, they'll be around <laughs> untouched into it. That thing. That thing will be around in 250,000 years untouched. It, you know, one, one thing I'll throw out, Bob, that's related to our conversation and, and probably a topic, we've touched on it before, but I think worth next time we get together, you know, exploring a little bit. There's another dynamic that, that we don't focus on, but I think is playing um, a, a major role here. And that's the dynamic of, of the multi-generational workforce that, that, is, that is now um, running businesses. So as you know, in 2017, um, a, a generation as large as the largest generation ever created, the baby boom generation, um, was in the workforce at the exact same time. So the millennial generation and the wow. baby boom generation. Now what's happening is, you know, you have A, the broadest demographic stretch we've ever seen in, in business, but B, you know, you've got now a, a, a powerful generation and you and I both have, have kids that would fit into this generation who are digital uh, from, from, the, from the jump. You know, they don't really remember a world without the internet. And so they're taking expectations, but also I remember going back to your description of compact computer. And I remember the, the man, the most attention I've ever gotten in my entire life was walking down the the uh, the aisle on a uh, a United Airlines flight carrying one of those things when it was kind of new. I had people jumping up and wanting to touch it and look at it. What is that thing you're carrying? That is really cool. But if you remember back then, technology was a little frightening. Yeah. You're afraid you could break it. You might lose something. This is a generation that technology is you carry in your pocket. Yeah, you throw it onto the desk. If you if if it crashes, it's in the cloud. So I think. Part of what you and I are talking about is generationally, they're going to push many of us. We're hopefully going to help shape some of the thinking there. And that I think that collaboration being in relative orbit, if I can use yes. that expression again, yes. generationally, there's something very powerful about that. And I, I don't know, you know, you know, frankly, we haven't seen something like this since the 40s and 50s. You know, it's been a long time since we've had some a, a what am I searching for? A demographic dynamic quite like that. And again, I don't know what that means yet, um, but I, I think that plays a role in, in, the, in the, some of the dynamics that we're talking about here, particularly around the adoption and use and, and innovation of these technologies. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit time to get stars aligning. You got people, the different generations yeah. you described, some of the technologies that are happening. And uh, I think everybody just a little more um, 
eager to uh, leave the recent past behind us and to, you know, yeah. build this, this better future that's coming. So, uh, Tony, I think as always, you've given everybody lots and lots of food for thought. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, my friend. And uh, Tony, we'll look forward to seeing you again sometime soon here. I, I love the walls, the guitars and all that. I'm impressed that you knew our friend, the princess phone here. I'll give you a call on it. Maybe when we're done here, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up on a couple of things. Tony, thanks a million as always. Hey, Bob, always great to see you. Thanks a lot. All right, Tony. And to all of you, our beloved Cloud Wars audience, thanks so much for being with us. It's good to see you. Um, thanks for spending some of your time with us. I want to thank producer Bill Cozell, who I think we're now on about episode number 220. Bill's put up with me for more than two years. So Bill, thanks a millionaire behind the scenes, doing a great job as always. And we look forward to seeing you folks next time on Cloud Wars Live.